How many of you were in this Sunday school class uh, three-ish years ago when we began? Because this is about the size that it was then. Uh, a, little, a little cozier today, but that's cool. Um, in case you have been just uh, either one or not familiar with Stuart Heights Baptist Church or two, have been under a rock. Today starts uh, Soddy Daisy Campus, and we've got a lot of people that are up there uh, spiritually rubbernecking today. And uh, as a borrowed term, Josh Landers, that was awesome. That was awesome. And uh, any funny joke I steal, it's not, it's not because of me, that's for sure. But uh, thank you, I, I love that. I forgot the intimacy also allows for more uh, witty banter back and forth, so we'll, we'll roll with that today, too. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, it's open up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, one quick word of announcement. On your table, there is a... Um, there is a single page. Thank you. Uh, the Sunday School Weekly Update. And uh, it's got some information on there. And on the back is who is at your table. This is how we're doing attendance uh, today. So write down the names, who is at your table as we go through today. And then there's also a section, and Darla, I totally apologize. There's a section on there for prayer requests. Uh, so we're, we're streamlining. This is an attempt. We're going to get there one day. We'll be organized one day. I've been teaching Sunday school for 30 years, and we'll get this figured out, so we'll see. All right, so today we are in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and 7, and uh, this is the second half of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' core compilation of teaching. Uh, a lot of people think that it was, a lot of theologians think that it was his uh, standard sermon, if you will. Um, every preacher has, has a sermon that is kind of in their hip pocket that, you know, oh, Gary's sick this morning. Well, Daryl has one, Brian has one, I've got one of just, we're ready to go. Here you go. And generally, it's something you're incredibly familiar with and that you have delivered before. Um, in other parts of this passage, it talks about people would stay with him all day long. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it takes about 15 minutes to read it out loud. So either Jesus spoke slowly, which would put people asleep, and they would not have stayed with him all day, right? They wouldn't have hung around for lunchtime when he broke the bread and did all this cool stuff with the fish. Or this is just a condensed version of the longer form of what he was talking about. Now, we talked last week about the, the reason Jesus came was to reconcile God and man. Uh, when God created the earth, everything was in perfect relationship. Uh, God's relationship with the earth was perfect. God's relationship with man was perfect. And then that's Genesis 1 and 2, and then Genesis 3, it all falls apart, right? Sin is introduced, relationships are broken, the earth groans against this sin. And to be honest, this past week we saw some of that groaning, right? I mean, that's, people go, well, why did all this happen? Well, because everything's not in a fully reconciled relationship with God. It's not going to be right. We as believers look around and go, this isn't right. And God goes, yeah. That's right. You messed it up. And, and this is the result, is that an earth that is out of whack and out of balance and things are just not right. And it's sad and it's awful, but that's the reality of sin. So this week is the second half of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think I said last week we could spend months and months and months going into the Sermon on the Mount because there's just so much here. I mean, this is, this is the riches of the riches, right? But today we're looking at several different things, basically from Matthew 6 and 7. And Jesus, there's the blank there, Jesus lays out how life should be lived and gives us a choice. 
It gives us a choice. And if you ever want to just get convicted about your relationship with God, I would just challenge you to read through the Sermon on the Mount. And when you get to the end, it's, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? It reminded me, I spent a lot of time this week just reading over the text and reading over the text. Um, and it reminded me of Moses in the last part of Deuteronomy. You guys remember that? Where he, they, they come up to the brink of the Jordan River, and he's looking over into the Promised Land, and he gives the Israelites this two or three chapter impassioned sermon about what are you going to do? You know, which way are you going to go? And Joshua picks up that same mantle of communication, and he says, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, which is kind of funny because you end the Pentateuch with this, what are you going to do? And you start Joshua with, we're serving the Lord. So there's like seven verses where we're not really sure which way we're going to go, and then Joshua plants a stake in the ground and says, this is what we're going to do, which is great because you've got to have people that will publicly proclaim this is what we're going to do. So Jesus gives us a choice here. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. And no, I'm not drinking coffee today. This is for an illustration we're going to do in a little bit. So. And several of you were very passionately wanting some of this drink up here. So that was kind of cool to me. It's not Kool-Aid. No Kool-Aid. I don't do Kool-Aid at church, right? Those of you that are like, what? Google Kool-Aid and Christianity. You will not <laughs> like the results. It's not a good thing. All right, Matthew 6. We'll pick up in verse 5. It's, I know, it's Jim. Yeah, Jim can never do anything with Kool-Aid in church, right? When I went to Bob Jones, I, uh, I had a girl in high school that was a really good friend of mine, and she said, just promise me one thing, that you will never drink Kool-Aid there. Because she thought Bob Jones and Jim Jones were the same, and I was like, I promise. First week at Bob Jones, you know what they served? Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. I was like, I'll pass, thanks. No thanks. Good stuff. All right, Matthew 6, verse 5. We'll redirect. Here we go. Jesus says, and when you pray, not if, but when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, the actors, the pretenders, the people with two faces. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Now, there were a couple places in this time where Jews would pray publicly. One was in the synagogue, right? Some leader would stand up and they would go long and long and long. And the rabbis of this day would actually teach that the longer you prayed, the better it was. Yay, let's go to church, right? (laughs) I mean, seriously. And uh, the other was, uh, they had appointed times during the day, 9 o'clock, noon, and 3 o'clock, that they would stand up and they would pray. Wherever they were, they would take time and they would pray. And these uh, hypocrites would make sure they were out on the street corner at 9 o'clock so everybody could see them, right? On their daily calendar, 8.55, run to Starbucks, right? Out there, getting my cup of coffee. Oh, look at here, we're in public. I've got to pray now. So they would stand on the street corners and pray so everybody could see them. Jesus says in verse uh, 5 there, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And last week we talked about this concept of a read receipt, right? This idea that I do this action and I get this small little response and that's it. And, And in my mind, this looks like a read receipt, a spiritual read receipt, because you got the reward and that was it. It's not substantive. It's not really full of content, but... That's all there is to it. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, when, again, not if, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Anybody's translation have another phrase there? Meaningless. That's a good one. Anybody else? 
don't babble. I knew somebody would have the babble. Yeah, th this word is uh, babalos. Um, it's not Babylon. It, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it right. I can't pronounce. There's some words in like Greek and Hebrew that I just go, I'm just going to get close enough because y'all ain't going to check anyway. Just be honest about it, right? And, and it means to say something, to stammer, right? And you've heard somebody that just, that, that, um, um, and just can't, um, you just can't get it out, right? And that's okay. There are people with real speech impediments, and I understand that. But this word means not meaning what you say. <clears throat> and we've all experienced this, right? And I think most of us as Christians experience this at the dinner table with our kids, right? When you go into autopilot, right? You just kind of, you're, you're trucking along, and you just shift into autopilot, and it's, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Please bless it to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was nice, right? It was a nice little prayer that didn't do anything, right? Other than solidify the fact in our kids' minds that when we just repeat things and don't really mean it, <clears throat> that that's okay. Dang it, why'd I have to say that, right? Yeah, this, this vain repetitions, this autopilot concept. So who does the vain repetitions? As the who? What does the Bible say? Is the who? The heathens. Anybody have a different translation? The pagans. Thank you. The pagans. That's what they do. So if you want to be a pagan, vain repetition. Shift into autopilot. Real simple. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Their many words. And thankfully, that's not what prayer is about. So those of you that are like, I don't want to pray in public, cool. No problem. Jesus is okay with that. Because that's not the point. The point is not to be seen of men and to go, yeah, I felt really good about that. That was great. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Now, this is very reassuring because many of us grow, have grown up and been in church long enough to know that, that when you pray, you're supposed to have a prayer. What are you supposed to have? We've been taught you're supposed to have a prayer journal, right, where you list things that you're praying for and then as the prayer gets answered, there's another column that's nice and neat and organized, because this is how prayer is done. Nice and neat and organized, and there's a date over on the right-hand side where the prayer gets answered. For those of you that are new to my class, I'm being facetious, okay? This is not what prayer is all about. This is not a super organized, uh, I've taught class, uh, gosh, I knew I was going to do that. Growth track, too. It is so hard not to do that. It's autopilot, right? It's that autopilot. I've taught growth track, too, with... Uh, Dave Iverson so many times that we would get on this autopilot role, and he, when we get to the prayer section, always had this one sentence that he would say, and he says, look, it's great that you have a list, but God already has a list. I thought, Ooh, I'm, I'm really glad God already has a list, because I guarantee you there's something on his list that I'm not aware of, and I'm glad he does, because he already knows all this stuff, and that's, I'm just so excited about that. Uh, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Adam Clark, one of my favorite uh, commentators, he said, prayer is not designed to inform God, right? It's not like, oh, I forgot about that. You know, I'm so excited you brought that up because I wasn't going to do that unless you said something about it. No, that's not how that works. And it's not up to us, right? It's just not up to us. Uh, J. Burton Kaufman said, uh, a God who needs to be told what men need could certainly not help if told. Right? If he's got to be told to do what he needs to do, he doesn't have the strength to do what he needs to do. He knows. 
you know, yeah, these old guys, they put the, they put the phrases in the wrong spot. It's not, it's awkward. I was watching your face the whole time. You're like, I don't, yeah, don't. <laughs> he helps me understand when I'm way out in left base. It's verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Now, I want you to notice as we read through this, the plural pronouns. The plural pronouns. So what are plural pronouns? They represent more than one person. So what would an example of one be? For the record, for those of you listening on the podcast, Eric King said y'all. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, y'all is a good one, right? Now, unless you have the Bubba Gump translation of the scripture, uh, y'all probably doesn't show up in your copy, right? So what would a more... Um, we, there we go. Us, we, them, our, right? So we want to look at the, the plural pronouns here. So Jesus said to pray this way. And the only way that you can pray using plural pronouns, there's two ways, actually. One is in a group, right? And the other is if you're bipolar. <laughs> you can pray with plural pronouns. You totally have permission because there's like a medical reason. Now, but the idea is that you weren't expecting that, were you? You were not expecting that, were you? That was awesome. The idea is that we get together and pray, and we're going to do that here as a group here in just a minute. I've, list, I've written a prayer out there for us. So let's look at what Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, or hallowed, depending upon how conservative you are. Um, so hallowed. So what in the world does that word mean, right? I honestly had no clue. I'm going through this, and I'm going, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't know what that word means. So I go and I look it up. And you know what it is? It's the, it's the verb form of the word holy. That's what it is. It's, it's an active holiness. I was like, oh. Well, that's easy. You thought that was honor? Oh, okay. Mm. It's a hag. It's a, again. I can't say it correctly, but hagios is the Greek word for holy, and this is hagia. So it's like you change the last couple letters of a Greek word, and it makes it a verb or a noun. And I'm getting into grammar again, and everybody just going. It's okay. It's the verb form of the word holy. So yeah, Greek grammar nonetheless, right? So hallowed be your name. Now. There are imperatives in this prayer. And imperatives are things that you tell someone else to go and do. Okay? That you tell someone else to go and do. So, Julie, please come here. Was that an imperative? It was a polite imperative, yes. Okay? Right, because I got more sense than to just tell her what to do. <laughs> in front of y'all. No, I'm not done yet. Julie. She has no clue what's coming here. Please kiss me. <laughs> Woohoo! All right, thank you. You may go back yet. <laughs> Julie. Easy now. Nobody. Uh -uh. I rebuke thee, Satan. <laughs> Yeah, so an imperative is when you tell someone to do something. Now, there are a lot of imperatives in this prayer, which is kind of awkward for many of us, because most of us are used to going to God and asking for things, and not used to going to God and saying, do this, right? I mean, that's 
kind of out of my comfort zone to just walk up to God and go, let's start having a conversation. I'm going to tell you what to do. But Paul says later on in the New Testament that we can come how before the throne of grace? Boldly. Right? Because Jesus bridged the gap, opened communication, and made a way for us to communicate with God. And with any friend that I have, I've always had a conversation at some point or another where he told me what to do or I told him what to do. It's not out of arrogance. It's because this is what I need. Right? And this is what this relationship is about. So we're going to look at the imperatives as we go through. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, an imperative. Okay? Your will be done, an imperative. Telling God what to do. On earth as it is in heaven. Now this is not an arrogant imperative. Give us this day our daily bread. It's an imperative. Give us. And forgive us our debts. It's an imperative. As we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. Another imperative. There's a lot of telling going on in this prayer, isn't it? Is that surprising to anybody? A little bit? This was surprising to me when I kind of started clicking around going like, man, this is, this is a lot of telling God. Deliver us from what? What's the next part of your, your verse say? Evil. Anybody else? The devil. the devil. Okay. The evil one. So is it evil or is it the evil one? What's that? Yes, exactly. This is a purposefully vague statement in the New Testament. There is no way grammatically to figure out should it be evil or should it be evil one. It's an equal argument either way. It, perhaps it's equal just because it might include all that, right? Because I don't want to be in the evil one, who is the devil, and I don't want to be overcome with evil itself. Either one. I, I would Neither one of that. So, deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, here's what I want you to do. At your tables, right now, for just a second, read through this prayer. Get a copy of the scripture in front of you. That was awesome. Get a copy of the scriptures in front of you and just see how long it takes you to read through that prayer. You ready? Go. done, Keith? Really? It didn't take like 30 minutes? Really? So the way Jesus told us to pray didn't take 30 minutes. Well, that's handy. He didn't close his eyes either, right. Did you see that in the footnotes? There's the footnotes in there, right? Thou shalt bowest thy headest and closest thy eyes, right? No. He just said pray. Just talk to God. This is 70 words. <clears throat> Takes about 20 seconds. And we're doing what Jesus told us to do. And that's pretty cool. Because this is something that's short enough that you can do at almost any point in time. He gave us a mechanism to pray, to communicate with him, that is relatively easy. Right? This is not a complex thing. It's pretty straightforward. So relatively easy. So, now, you'll notice that big green passage of text on your, um, on your handout. If you don't have a handout, you get a handout in front of you. Um, the class that I teach on Wednesday nights is uh, a historical perspective 
of the great creeds and statements of faith of Christianity and they look at what we as Southern Baptists believe in our uh, Baptist faith and message statement. And when we were looking at the historical creeds of Christianity, um, I printed off a whole bunch of creeds and catechisms and confessions and statements of faith and whatnot. And one of them was the Heidelberg uh, uh, Catechism. And the catechism is, is anybody in my class? Somebody's in my class in here on Wednesday night? Who's in here? Nobody? Really? Y'all are slackers. No. Um, but a catechism is a series of questions. Oh, Grantson, there you go. Is a series of questions and answers, right? Somebody asks a question, and there's a rote response. There's an answer that comes back. And some of you may have participated in this growing up. Uh, if you were in the Catholic Church, there's other denominations that believe these, that this is how they formally train their young people, catechism. And one of the catechisms, uh, one of the questions, the response is very, very similar to this prayer. And a, um, a guy that actually grew up in the same town that I did, Trevin Wax, I uh, went to uh, First Baptist Shelbyville. I, I think Josh and Katie probably know him. Um, he wrote a, a modernized version of a prayer as a response to the last wave of storms that came through, not this past week, but a couple years ago, storms that came through uh, the Shelbyville area several years ago. And I just think it's an absolutely gorgeous prayer. And I'd just like us to pray it as a group, if that's okay. Um, I know as Baptists we're supposed to be spontaneous prayer, right? I mean, that's the only way, not really... I mean, it can, you can actually think about what you're going to say and maybe write it out before you actually say it to God because, I mean, it is God. So it's perhaps worth contemplating beforehand. Um, so we can just read this together. That'd be awesome. And we'll just take a second to uh, pray for our community and those affected by these storms. So, and just read along with me. Uh, Faithful Father, we praise you for your almighty and ever-present power. We trust in the power of your hand which upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. We trust in the goodness of your rule over leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, knowing that all things come to us not by chance, but from your fatherly hand. Help us to be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and confident for the future knowing that nothing will separate us from your love. Um, we're going to get to the activity part of this a little bit later on today's text, but um, this is something that you can tell people, hey, I'm praying for you. you know, I'm praying for you. This is something that we can do as a community. So verse 14, so if you forgive men their trespasses, uh, and this is not, some of your translations might say sins here. This is really not sins. This is more like a slip-up. Um, it's an accidental offense. It's a, um, yeah, it's, I hate to be too semantic here, but it's really, it's not like I came up and smacked your wife, okay? It's like I, you know, <laughs> man, we got people kissing people's wives, and we got people smacking other, no. This would be the, this would be I'm walking around and I trip and I accidentally, you know, like spill hot water on her or something. I mean, this would be a slip up, an accident. This is, and you're supposed to, what? Yeah, yay, right? Because <laughs> that'd be awful. <laughs> it was like a tooth for a tooth here. Cause, no. So forgive men their trespasses. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your, forgather, your Father forgive your trespasses, which is rather direct. You know? You'll notice Jesus doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room as we go through this. Verse 16. Moreover, when, not if, but when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad 
um, it's just sad and gloomy. All of us know this, uh, this cartoon character from Winnie the Pooh. It just had this long face. Eeyore. Whenever I read this passage, I always think of Eeyore. It's like, oh, I'm fasting. It's so bad. I didn't take a shower today. Not because I didn't have electricity, because I'm fasting. Like, come on, guys. I mean, fasting is active to abstaining from food in order so that you pray over something else. And just don't walk around in the funk, you know? That is my translation of this. So don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. They would actually mark them up, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. They got that read receipt. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is, the Christian life is a lot about what's going on in your heart and your intent of your heart, not necessarily just your actions out uh, externally. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust Literally, the, the Greek word here is the eating, and the idea is that the rust eats away at things. Where moth and eating destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just to paraphrase, what you invest in is what you care about. Right? I don't invest in things I don't care about. Right? They're looking at me like, huh? Right? It makes sense. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good or healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or sick, your whole body will be full of darkness. Um, we've all met people that, and I don't want to like poke too much fun here, but you've met people that when you, you have a conversation with them, you're not sure which eye to look at. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, you're kind of like, I, I need to, I'm just going to pick one, right? Okay, yep, I'm right here. No, I'm kind of, yeah, I don't think I'm going to, and you've switched halfway through, and it's awkward. I've done this before, and, you're awkward, and the person's like, what are you doing, man? Just sit still, you know? And, uh, but if, you're, if your eyes, yeah, you're off just a little bit, right? And if your eyes are not healthy, they're not focusing on the same thing. They're going to interpret reality incorrectly, right? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's going to interpret reality incorrectly. So if, therefore, that light that is in you if you're interpreting incorrectly, how great is that darkness? It's going to get magnified, right? No one can serve two masters. And to me, this is the best verse in the Bible against polygamy. <clears throat> For either he will... I thought it was funny, but okay. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal. Um, Doug, come here for a second. <clears throat> when you're commanding... Yeah. No, no, this does not involve kissing. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. You got a bad. <laughs> so, Doug, let's. Uh, now, what's your rank? You are a. A chief. The chief. The master. Master chief, right? You're a chief master? Really? That's awesome, man. That's pretty cool. And if I'm a general, okay? A general, like a legit, like dot stars on the shoulders and the whole nine yards. And I walk up to you, what do you do? I salute first. You salute. Now, now, did you notice what he did before he saluted? What did he do? He turned. He, he did that too, didn't he? You noticed that too. He's got like no gut, but it's still, it got tight. You know, it's like, wow, it's amazing. But you turned and faced me, right? Why? 
That's what it's what you do. That's what you. And if you don't, then what? You get called on the garbage. It's going to be a problem. This word, um, this word in the New Testament, this word for loyal, is to line up face to face. This is to look at. I'm looking you in the eye. So if I'm going to serve somebody, thank you, Doug. I appreciate that, and thank you for your service too. Yes. If I'm going to serve somebody, I can only line up face to face with one person at a time. I can't, I can't line up with God and then line up with mammon, which is basically money uh, uh, personified. I, I can't line up with two different things at the same time. And a lot of times we think, oh, we can pull that off. That's no big deal. We can pull that off. No, we really can't. can't be done. So you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is just an Aramaic word used to personify money. And then we get to this wonderful little passage that would totally destroy the drug industry in the United States of America. It would. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Can you get taller by worrying about it? Where's Terry Bowman? There you go. I was like, I teed it up for you, man. I mean, I was nice, right? You cannot do it. You absolutely cannot do it. When I was, uh, when I was in the seventh grade, I had a physical examination with a doctor so I could go play basketball. And I was probably five foot seven or so in the seventh grade. And the doctor told me, Jim, we've looked at your growth plates in your feet, and we've taken measurements, and we've looked at your family, and I don't think there's any way in the world that you're going to be any taller than five foot ten. And I'm here to tell you that if you worry about it enough, you can be six foot two. No, no, no. He just didn't know what he was talking about, right? Worrying, you cannot make yourself taller by worrying. Jesus uses this absolutely absurd example to go, well, of course we can but I can fix this other thing by worrying because that's what we do. That's what I do. Worry, worry, worry. Right. Verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Do not worry, saying, what shall we wear? Guys, if you want a Bible verse that you should never ever, ever quote to your wife. This is it, okay? <laughs> For after all these things, the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were like, you know, the dogs of society in the Jews' mind. After these things, the Gentiles seek. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I get a little quote there. A question, how many lives would be happier if we would just obey Matthew 6.34 and not worry about today? I think probably quite a few. Mine would be, for sure. Mine would be, for sure. So, Matthew chapter 7. Here we go. And we're going to end with the first couple of verses here in Matthew chapter 7. Judge regularly and with great enthusiasm, right? Is that what it says? No. Judge always. Judge when you really know what the answer is. You know what's in their heart. Then it's okay to judge. Right? Did I say that? No. Judge not. 
The idea behind this word is it's a habit of pre-separating, pre-distinguishing, or pre-discriminating. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. Judge not that you not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, how many of you like sweet tea? Anybody like sweet tea? Who likes sweet tea? I need three volunteers. Whoa, that went everywhere. So we got some water. It's weak right now. I need three volunteers. Come here. You got one? Oh. I, so I don't make a lot of tea. So the little handle thing got dropped in there, so you have to get that out. Sorry. I got. No, 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 no. There's no sugar in it yet. So we got one here. We're going to make some sweet tea. It's good stuff. Now, many of you know that I used to be absolutely addicted to sweet tea. I was drinking somewhere between six and seven 20 ounces, uh, 20 ounce cups of sweet tea a day. Went to the doctor because I was having trouble sleeping. <laughs> Kid you not. Doctor says, doctor says, Jim, do you, do you drink alcohol? He's like, no. Let me tell you about Jesus, Doc. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I said, no, I don't drink alcohol. He said, well, do you do, uh, you smoke? No, I don't smoke. He said, he leans forward and goes, do you do drugs? No, I don't, I don't do drugs. He said, what about Cokes? I said, maybe I have one Coke a week, maybe, you know. He said, what about anything else? What else do you drink regularly? I was like, well, I drink a lot of sweet tea. He said, well, how much sweet tea do you drink? I said, well, I don't know. We have free refills at my work. You go and you buy a cup and you get free refills. He said, well, count for me how many you're drinking. Well, from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's your day. <laughs> <laughs> you knew this. You knew this was coming. That's For those four-hour periods, there's, there's free refills in our cafeteria downstairs. Well, I was in line at 10 o'clock because I'm going to get all I can, you know. Get, you know, that's the way this works. In line at 10 o'clock, get my tea, and I decided I was going to put a little mark on the cup, see how many sweet teas I was drinking each day. And these are 20-ounce all the way down, fill it back up. It was 1.30, and I made the little diagonal slash for the five. And I always went back right at two to get the last of the, I'm going, maybe this is the problem. So I stopped drinking sweet tea, cold turkey. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we, we about got divorced over that one. I'm just, don't. No, it was not, praise Jesus. So that was not, that was not fun. Um, but I grew up with a lot of sugar in my sweet tea. I mean a lot of sugar in my sweet tea. So Abby, do you like a lot of sugar in your sweet tea? Two, there, Abby is my kind of sweet tea drinker. Abby is my kind of... Because some of you Yankees think that like a half a cup in a gallon is going to do it. You have just disturbed tea is all you have to do. You have, you have not. So we're going so to put a little sugar in here. All right, so Abby's, that's, is that getting close, you think, or you maybe need a little more? Maybe a little more? Maybe a little more. All right, we'll do a little more. That's, that, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, now, Matt, do you like sweet tea? You like you're the really sweet tea? You don't? Okay, we're just, we're just going to do a little for Matt. Okay? Just going to do a little. That's, that's enough for Matt, so Matt's good. One little scoop. Now, what does this Bible verse say? Matthew 7, 2. How much, do you, how much sugar do you like in your sweet tea, right? No, that's not what it says. What does Matthew 7, 2 say? Whatever you measure, it shall be measured to you. So 
When you think about judgment, I want you to think about sugar and sweet tea. Come here, Dave. Because this is what some of us like to do. Man, I am judging. Dave Barber is awful. He is a dog. Did you hear what he did to me? Dave didn't speak to me. Dave didn't speak to me. I can smell the sugar coming out of this. In the hallway the other day at church. And you know what? I am angry, and I am telling people about Dave. And I am telling people that he is mean, and he is rude, and I don't think he loves Jesus. <laughs> I, think, I think he needs to get his heart right. And during this sermon this morning where Gary's talking about something that has to do with judgment, all I'm thinking about is that Dave's going to stand before Jesus one day, and Dave's in trouble. They need to be in the altar this morning, I'm telling you what. And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying all this that I just poured out into his cup is what I get. Now, <laughs> praise Jesus, I made a vow to God that I was not going to drink any more sweet tea in my life, so I ain't doing this. I ain't doing this. <laughs> but this is what it's like. Okay? This is what judgment is like. However many scoops you want to put in, that's what's coming back. That's what's coming back. And it's scary. Thank you, guys. You don't have to drink this awesome sweet tea, though. She's thinking about it up here. That's great. Where's my... Dang it. Who got it? You dog. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. I just did it, didn't I? Wow. You see how hard this is to do? Holy cow. This is the habit. This is the habit. All right. So I want to get down to, uh, and we're done. Look at the application. God likes actively working Christians. Many of you have been actively engaged in this restoration, this helping effort. Thank you. Keep it up. Right? Well done. Keep going with that. Jesus did not ignore the material. He talked about real things in real life. And choices must be made. He gets to the end of this uh, chapter 7, and he talks about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand, and he says, which house are you going to build your, which foundation are you going to build your house on? Are you going to build your house on a, a foundation of obedience or a foundation of disobedience? So what do I do with that? Well, do good, right? Keep doing this good work that we're doing. Uh, interact well with the material and choose Jesus because that obedience is the only life that will be happy. If you're wondering why you're going through life and you're like, man, this stuff's just not working out. This is awful. It might be because Jesus is not there. It might be. All right, guys, let's do our prayer requests at our tables. And uh, the notes from all of what I did not get to today will be on the website and all that. And uh, do our prayer requests on our tables. And you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today.